do thank you for this day, for the privilege to come together with your people and worship you in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit now would attend the proclamation of your word. For indeed, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you. And we pray for the simple grace to hear from you, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be sent out in the power of your spirit, to bear witness to the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what a joy it is once again to to be uh, with the King of Kings family. I've been here on Sunday several times. I've been on your retreats in the summer, and it's just great to be here. And I speak for Nancy as well. Um, And particularly, I want to say, in this season of transition. I mean, that's what you're in, I think, uh, transition. And uh, transitions are kind of interesting. Um, They, they, you know... Transitions are moments. I mean, the birth of a child, the the moving, the relocation, whatever kind of transition. Uh, For churches, transitions, just as they are for us, are challenging. And it's okay. We we can name that. I want you to know that, that in the transition that you're in, that you have brothers and sisters, churches throughout the Carolinas, the Diocese of the Carolinas, that that are praying for you, that are cheering for you, that, that stand in partnership with you in the mission that God's given you uh, in this place. I am so thankful, as I know you are, for the continuity in this transition that God has given you and the species and, and the Pinkstons. I'm so thankful for Ted and your vestry, Ted, your senior warden, your, your vestry, for, for the work of the search committee in this time. As, as you all together prayerfully seek to discern pastoral leadership for the next season here. So it's a transition. And there's a sense in transitions always that, oh my goodness, the waters are a little choppy. You know, our sense of stability somehow gets threatened. Uh, and we actually add to that the fact that we live in a world that's incredibly unstable, that goes through transitions. We don't have to turn on the news and see these shootings, see these storms, see, see just kind of all of the instability that the world is walking through, and then to realize, oh my goodness, that kind of sense of instability anyway is kind of touching my family. It's, it's coming into my church family. And so I was actually thankful to the Lord When I looked at the readings assigned for today, and kind of up out of those selections was that Philippians 4 passage that we just heard read. Because I believe what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi in that fourth chapter is actually a very timely word for King of Kings and for us in this current day. Paul was writing this letter just to kind of step back and and set the context because this is four chapters into a letter. Paul is writing the letter from prison, a Roman prison. It was no picnic. It was uh, not a good circumstance for him to be in. And yet, that's what makes this, this theme that runs throughout, this theme of joy, all the more remarkable. 
because Paul, from a prison cell, writes to this young church, and he continually has this, this gratitude and this theme of joy bubble up in his writings. He begins the letter in the first chapter, thankful to the, to the church in Philippi for their partnership in the gospel. The gospel's the beginning place. And it certainly was for Paul as he writes to them and he urges them to, to stand firm in that gospel. And he says the way that we do that as he goes into the second chapter is to look to the humility of Christ, to have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. This, this one who humbled himself and, and took on human flesh and, and even endured the cross. And he holds up Jesus as, as the ultimate model for, for how it is that we're to live in relationship one with another and how we are to experience God's actual exaltation of our lives and the lives of this congregation and the mission of this place by walking in that kind of humility. And then in chapter 3, probably my favorite uh, chapter in all of the Bible, Paul reminds us that, that our life in Christ is not about religion. It's not about religious achievement. It's about relationship with Christ. He says, I count all things as lost. Paul had done the religious thing for the surpassing value, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It was about that relationship at the, at the core of it. And so Paul writes to these early Christians in Philippi, and he's encouraging them in the face of the persecutions from the outside world and in the face of threats of division and false teaching within the church. And he says to them this, as he opens up this fourth chapter, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The call of the apostle is for us to stand firm in the Lord, holding fast to the gospel as it was first received from the apostle's lip, living in unity, living in humility one with another, and intentionally bearing witness to the world around us of the good news. And that is the good news of what God's done, what God has accomplished in his son, Jesus Christ. It's a tall order. Paul pleads with them to, to work through their differences. You know, those crop up every once in a while in the life of the body. And he says, work through those differences. Stand firm in this gospel. Be united. Humble yourselves before God. And then he says these words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it, rejoice. And there it is again, that, that theme of joy that, that permeates uh, this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. But it's more than just joy. It's, it's the command, and that's what it is, to rejoice. And that is, the, it's the call that Paul gives to the Christians to, to express their joy by rejoicing in the Lord. 
Now, if Paul was saying it, and he says it time and time again, and then again, rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. If, he, if he's pressing it down this much, there must be something in this for us. There must be something important that he's trying to say. Now, clearly, Paul's in prison, and the, the Philippians are experiencing their own difficulty and persecutions and, and potential division. And so we can see right off that the call to rejoice is not directly tied to their current circumstances. And that's, that's kind of a tough one for us to, to uh, swallow. Because so often, how do we live? It's easy for us to rejoice when things are going well. I mean, we live in a day and age where, where our joy too often is tied to our prosperity, our success, when, when our business is flourishing, when our church is flourishing, uh, when our influence is growing. But that's not really where Paul's going here. Uh, Frederick Beekner says it this way in his writing, The Longing for Home. He says, in our lives in the world, the temptation is always to go where the world takes us to drift with whatever current happens to be running the strongest. When good things happen, we rise to heaven. When bad things happen, we descend to hell. I know this to be true of no one as well as I know it, he says, to be true of myself. I know how just the weather can affect my whole uh, state of mind for good or ill, or getting stuck in a traffic jam can ruin my afternoon. I might add, or losing a football game. <laughs> he says all of this kind of external stuff kind of uh, takes over the heart. We're in constant danger, Beekner concludes, of being not actors in the drama of our lives, but reactors. Not actors, but reactors. Living for the circumstance, looking at kind of the, the external and allowing that to set the agenda for our lives. Well, this, this kind of uh, circumstance-dependent joy is not what Paul is calling forth from the church. Instead, he's saying that in the face, the very face of, of your hardship, rejoice. And more important, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Don't forget that part of it. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, for Paul, in spite of our circumstances, we, as God's adopted sons and daughters, can always rejoice in the Lord. And this is actually a command, a call to faith, isn't it? It's a call to, to trust in what God has already accomplished for us in Christ, to trust in his sovereignty, to trust that he's working out our story and the world's story in a way that brings glory and honor to his name. You see, we can rejoice in the Lord because our status before God has changed. We've been transferred from, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We can rejoice no matter what our circumstances are because we're forgiven, we're, we're cleansed, we stand in boldness before our Father. We can rejoice because 
God has not left us as orphans, but he has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit who's taken up residency in our lives. And so Paul is in all these ways saying, take your eyes off of the stuff out there and realize what God has accomplished for you in his son Jesus Christ that he's demonstrated with his life and his death and the power of his resurrection, God's extravagant love for you and you and you and every one of us, that he knows us by name and he he calls us to himself. So Paul says rejoice, and he begins to flesh it out in the fifth verse of this fourth chapter. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. This, this word reasonableness, sometimes translated gentleness or, or graciousness, let it be known to everyone. Paul is talking about how it is that we relate to people. How it is we relate in the body and family of God. How we, it is that we relate to the people in the world. And Paul said, by being gracious, by being gentle, by, by being reasonable, that, that is not hard and unforgiving, but, but gentle and choosing not to retaliate when it's possible that we can, that that kind of life of rejoicing and of joy lived out this way actually leaves an impression, that, that it stands out, that people notice it, that it becomes evident, Paul says, to all. We can live this way Paul says, why? Because the Lord is at hand. What's the connection there? The Lord is at hand. He's he's talking about this this God who is enthroned at the right hand of the Father is soon to return. And so we're not bound to, to, to right every wrong that's happened to us. We can trust him. He's at hand. He's sovereign. He is near to us and to our circumstances and to returning and setting us into the new heaven and the new earth. Paul says, by living in this kind of faith and trust, we can rejoice. And it's almost as you're reading this epistle that you can hear the Christians raising questions with Paul as he's writing this letter to them. Uh, but Paul, how can we rejoice when, when things are so difficult? Our lives are weighted down with anxiety over so many things. Um, and, and, and I say, doesn't that sound pretty contemporary? I mean, when you think about it, things haven't changed. Maybe they've even gotten worse 2,000 years later. That our world, is riddled with anxieties. I mean, I've never seen it, even in the last generation, kind of the the medication that's happening around anxiety in in our culture because just it's almost like everything's closing in and Paul (laughs) begins to address it. He's he's asking them, he's asking us, what, what is it that consumes us, that makes us anxious, that that keeps us up at night. We still live in a world of anxiety. And then in verse 6, he says this, very prescriptive for Paul. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, it's important that we note that Paul just doesn't say, do not be anxious for anything, because uh, that would be tough. 
I mean, it would be nice if we could do that, just turn off the anxiety. But Paul acknowledges the anxiety. He understands it, and he, he gives a prescription to it. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Dear beloved, what, what Paul's saying is, is that, that prayer and anxiety are like wire, water and fire. That the fire that burns in our anxieties is actually put out by the water of prayer. That God, when we come to him with prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, when we open up ourselves before him, he pours out the water of his spirit and releases us from the anxieties. Paul says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, that everything is huge to me. Because what that means to me is, is that there's not one piece of our life, our existence, our struggle that's off limits from God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Every part of our life matters to our Father. And Jesus revealed our Father as, as one who cares for us more than the sparrows, more, more than the lilies of the field. He, he cares about the stuff that we're facing in our life. And Paul's very prescriptive words to us is take those things that make you anxious and go before the Lord with them. Lay them out. Lay yourself out before the Lord. And allow him to set you free from those anxieties. Nothing is off limits to God. And what we don't want to do is somehow create a God that's, that's not big enough for all the stuff. Because he is big enough. Everything matters to him. Paul has a different view of the Father. It's the one that Jesus revealed. He's completely available. He's not a dad who's absent. He's not a dad who's too busy for us. But he's completely accessible to us through Jesus Christ. And this is where you come back to that ongoing living relationship which God has invited us in Christ into. And he takes every anxiety and he releases us from it. Paul's calling us to remember those ways that God has already acted on our behalf. And that's in the, with thanksgiving. His only caveat here is that when we bring these prayers and supplications before the Lord, we do it with thanksgiving. That we look at the track record of our lives and the ways that God has moved in our world. And we remember that in gratitude, in thanksgiving. You see, Paul's understanding of our access we have to the Father in the power of the Spirit is, is based on, as I've said, what Christ has done. In Hebrews, the writer talks about it this way. He says that Jesus is our high priest. And that based on the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary, we now have bold access into the throne room of God. 
And we don't have to, to, to say, well, I'm gonna, I, I don't want to play all my chips on this anxiety or this worry. I'm going to wait for something really big, and then I'm going to press in. That's not the attitude that Paul has. He cares about it all. Let your requests be made known to God. And then there's a promise. Beloved, there's promise. There's more, believe it or not. He says this, and when you do it, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, the Christians in Philippi, they knew about guards. That, that word that Paul uses for guard your hearts and minds is actually a military term. And, uh, and Philippi was uh, a garrison town in the Roman Empire, and they literally had guards that guarded the town. And the people of Philippi, these Christians they, that Paul was writing to, watched the changing of that guard. And what, what Paul is alluding to here is that the peace of God that, that we can't understand that's beyond our comprehension will so guard our hearts and minds that... that we will be impenetrable by the forces of darkness outside. That that peace of God is not only kind of the absence of conflict, but it's this sense of wholeness that comes through the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. That, that when we come to God in prayer, He gives this peace that guards our hearts and our minds. That means we have peace even when the external data uh, seems to indicate that we shouldn't have peace. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Have you ever walked through uh, some extremely difficult circumstance and been surprised at the peace that is guarding you? Been surprised at the peace that God gives in that circumstance? It's a confidence, not in ourself. It's not, it's not a... a a self-confidence, it's a confidence in God and a trust. In that moment, perhaps when we know we don't have control above anything else, any, anything or anyone, we experience God's presence. It's this peace which protects and guards our hearts and minds. And because our minds and our, our, our thought press processes are, are such a battle, battlefield, uh, Paul goes on and says these words. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. You see, our mind is a battlefield. And the enemy and the powers of darkness, that's where the anxieties begin. And Paul's talking about this peace which will guard and protect us. And he says, to continue in that peace, you need to think on these things. Think on the things that are worthy. Don't go to the news. Don't go to the dark place. Set your mind on the things above, as Paul says it in Colossians. But not only does he tell us how to think, Paul goes on and he urges us to stay in that peace by, by, by doing the right thing. Listen to what he says beyond that. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, 
and the God of peace will be with you. So we set our minds on the things above. And then Paul says something remarkable that I believe God wants each and every one of us as his children and his followers to be able to say, can you look at my life, the way I've lived in, in relationship to you and see something of Christ in that? Paul was able, not in a, in a self-confident way, in a self-serving way, uh, to say, look at me, but simply because Christ was living in him. And that should be the goal for every one of us. And so it's by what we think and it's how we live in this that the God of peace continues to accompany us in life's journey. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, Paul lived what he believed and he's calling us to do the same. So, dear brothers and sisters, we rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice because, indeed, he has acted on our behalf. We are loved. We are forgiven. We come to him in faith. We're not bound to worry and anxiety, but we come to him in prayer. And we lay before him our lives and our hearts and our anxieties and our requests. And he gives us his peace. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing in this season of transition the King of Kings is in? If the Lord didn't take you and us to new depths of trust, to new depths of prayer, to, to new and, and deeper lives of peace, as you walk through kind of what feels like turbulence and you see God show up, and you see God work and move and, and use this time to equip and empower and release you as the body of Christ in ministry, one to another and in our world. You see, the application of Philippians 4 is, is, is multifaceted. It's, these words apply in our homes. They apply in the places we work, they, in our relationships, virtually every sphere of where the Lord has us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we heard the invitation? If we stepped into it in a deeper way and trusted God with the stuff that keeps us up at night and experienced that peace which passes all understanding. Let us pray.